Ladies and gentlemen, it is episode two of In the Tank. Hopefully our audio is fixed up a little bit here. Welcome into another episode. We're so glad to have you with us. I'm Aiden, joined by Bailey once again. Bailey, it's been an exciting little bit since we last recorded here on In the Tank. Let's start out in Jacksonville, or in Durham, I should say, against Jacksonville, where we're recording this on Monday, August 23rd. Last night, the Rays had um, basically a major league pitching staff pitching for a good amount of the time yesterday in Durham. We saw Dietrich N started on the hill, Daniel Robertson, or David Robertson, I should say, J.P. Fireson, Nick Anderson, and Pete Fairbanks all appeared in that game. Not exactly the best game for any of them when it came to giving up runs. Um, but, you know, I, I do think it has to show that some of these pitchers are getting really close to returning. Yeah, it's really good to see because, uh, as everyone knows, the Rays have been really beat up by injuries this year. So to see five um, MLB arms rehabbing at the same time is very promising. Um, I read a report. Ryan Thompson, after the game, said he was feeling okay, not great. So uh, he might be another week or two away, to say the least. But it's good to see him back out there on the mound. Yeah, 1,000%. I forgot about Thompson as he was down one more on the list. I just did not read that far. Um, for a lot of these pitchers, it was the home run ball that, that came back to bite them a little bit. Um, both all, Fireson uh, and Fairbanks both giving up a long ball. Ends as well giving up the long ball. If you ask me, however, the bright spot in that game was David Robertson for what he did. An inning in two-thirds, giving up three hits, one run. It wasn't earned, but striking out three. Still a zero ERA so far with Durham. Talk a little bit. Do you think David Robertson can help this team with his leadership, but also the way he pitches down the stretch here and into the postseason? I definitely think so. You know, with the injuries the Rays have, they definitely have room for him on the roster. If he keeps pitching like this, he looked good in the Olympics. And I think a veteran presence like him would be more than welcome in the bullpen. And let's talk about this. You want to talk about the Rays' dominance, even with this injuries, courtesy of the former co-host of the show, Matt Germain. If you're not following him, please go do it at Matt underscore Germain. That's Matt with one T uh, at Matt underscore Germain underscore. The Rays' pen dominance so far this year, 45 and 22, 31 saves, 71 holds, 526 and a third innings with a 304 ERA, a 1.12 whip, a 3.95 XFIP, a 3.53 Sierra, 29 or 28.9% uh, CSW percent, and a 6.7 F war. The next highest F war is the Yankees at 5.8 F war. So if that doesn't show you that even with all these injuries, the Rays are doing this, imagine how much better they're going to be when all these guys return. For sure. And it's just incredible how they keep doing it. You know, they, they, you know, they claim guys off waivers like Matt Weisler, Adam Conley, Sean Armstrong, and then you see them go out and pitch two innings, four strikeouts, no runs, one inning, three strikeouts. It's just like, you know, they keep doing it. And then they DFA those players and call up the injured players and they just keep going. I'd like to talk about this. This is how Matt sort of sees the uh, roster shaking up once we get to September here, because that's sort of going to be the timeline when all these guys come back. Nick Anderson and Ryan Thompson, both to the uh, both to the big club, just with rosters expanding. You've got Pete Fairbanks uh, and David Robertson will join the pen with Lewis Heed and Chris Mazza heading down. And then a, sadly, a DFA of Armstrong and ends to add Matt Weisler and JP Fireson back to the squad. What's your sort of thoughts about this? And this would 
result in a bullpen of this. Nick Anderson, Ryan Thompson, Pete Fairbanks, David Robertson, Matt Weisler, J.P. Fireson, J.T. Chargis, Andrew Kittredge, Colin McHugh, and Adam Conlon. I think that is most likely what will happen. Um, it's possible Conley gets DFA'd instead of one of the other players you name, but I think something in that realm is definitely what's going to happen. You know, I think Chris Mazza has shown for me that he deserves a spot on this club, and I hope they can find a way to get him up here because, in my opinion, Mazza has been one of the best pitchers for the race so far and taking into consideration the amount he's jumping around. Yeah. Well, uh, for starters, yesterday at around 11 a.m., he was on a boat in Fort Myers, and the Rays called him and said, hey, can you pitch? And his brother had to drive in the boat really fast to get back to shore. He drove up to St. Pete, got to the game in the second inning, came into pitch in the sixth inning, struck out Andrew Vaughn. So he's been really dependable for this club this year. Guys, for what it's worth, that is a two-hour drive. As someone who lives semi-close to both, that is a solid two-hour drive. It's not a comfortable one. At least it's pretty straight the whole way through. Um, but I guarantee you he was probably going a little over 70 as the I-75 allows. For sure. <laughs> For sure. That's one of those cool stories. It's almost like one of those stories you hear when a guy gets traded and, you know, they fly him out. You know, he's playing the 1 o'clock game. He, he gets traded at like 2 o'clock. They fly him, fly him quickly to wherever they are, and then he comes in to play that next day. Yeah. Know, that same day. So it's one of those good um let's talk a little bit about you wanted to touch on josh Lowe a little bit congratulations to him for being the first player since justin ruggiano in 2007 there's a name for you Rays fans <laughs> justin ruggiano in 2007 to record 20 homers and 20 steals in a season my guess is wander franco probably would have gotten there if he would have stayed in durham as well but when are we going to finally give josh Lowe a chance he he's been knocking on the door the outfield, you know, it's producing, yes. And I get you have Phillips and Kiermeyer and a Rosarena and you've got Meadows and you've got all these guys out there. But at what point do you just have to bite the bullet and call up Josh Lowe? I think they I think come September, we're definitely gonna see Josh Lowe. I mean, he's one of five minor leaguers this season to have a 2020 season. The only one to do so in triple A, which is additionally um, impressive. And, I mean, he's just been on a tear for the past couple of seasons. I mean, 2018, he was slow to get going. And then he showed promise 2019. And then all the reviews from uh, the alternative training site uh, during the 2020 season were really promising. And then he's just put on a show this year. I, I, I don't know how much longer the race can keep him in Durham. He simply is warranting a promotion at this point. Wow. Uh, just another little quote from Mazza real quick. I just pulled up from him. Mazza said he had just thrown his first fishing line into the water when he got the call. So he got about five seconds of fishing. He got called about 90 minutes when they put crews on the IL. We'll get more information from that as it comes out. Taylor Walls also last night, a three-run shot was huge out there. Um, let's go ahead and move down pretty much almost as far down as you can get. Talk to me a little bit about a guy you wanted to highlight, Ian Seymour. Ian Seymour has um, been off to a fantastic start to the season uh, since he got going. He missed about, I want to say, three or four months with a with flexor soreness in his pitching elbow. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it did not require surgery, but he had to take some time to rehab and whatnot. But now he's, you know, all cylinders firing in Charleston. In his last 14 innings pitched, his 28 strikeouts, his most recent outing, five innings, one hit, which was an infield single, no runs, one walk, 10 strikeouts. 
He was the second round pick uh, in 2020 by the Rays out of Virginia Tech. And he's just been phenomenal this season. And there's really, I mean, very soon he's going to have to finish the year in Bowling Green because he's just dominating the uh, low A Southeast League. Yeah, and mind you, this is only in 20 innings of play, so don't take this too much. But in that 2020 season with Virginia Tech, 3-0 with a 2-2-1 ERA in four starts. I mean, he he definitely looked like a great pitcher. And coming out of there, you got to be happy with the fact that you're bringing him into this team. And, and, you know, I think the fact of the matter is the Rays are just so loaded at the pitching position that even if he is not used at the big league level at any point with the Rays, and this is something I think a lot of Rays fans need to realize and they get upset about, but they need to realize these players can be used for trade trips to bring in guys like Nelson Cruz. You saw them trade a really good pitcher in Joe yeah. Ryan, who probably could have been up in the major leagues on a lot of other teams, but they that traded him common. to bring in that Nelson Cruz bat, which you could see the Rays do a little more often just because of how loaded their farm system is. Definitely. And they and gave I, up Bruce Strawman too, and he he's looked good as well. I mean, Strutman has got to be one of my favorite minor league pitchers. Um, so I'm really, you know, for me, it's one of those things that I feel like Rays fans, and I'm going to go off on Rays fans here for a little bit, and I apologize. But Rays fans to me, and you and you can agree with me or disagree with me, and I'd love to have this conversation with you real quick. Rays fans to me overreact at the wrong times. And for me, Eric Neander has shown time and time again that he knows what he's doing. The Willie Adamas trade. Yeah, great. You know, you may not have been happy with it, but look at how well J.P. Fireson's doing now that he's coming back from injury or before the injury. Rasmussen, I mean, look at Rasmussen. He's been unbelievable. Yes, Willie is having a great season, but the Trop was not a good place for him to play. And now you're having Wander Franco, who's challenging Randy Rosarena for Rookie of the Year right now. I mean, you're talking about, like, that's the first trade that comes to mind. How about the fact that when you traded Chris Archer, you got back, Austin Meadows and Tyler Glassnow and Shane Baz. Or how about the fact that you traded Snell and got Francisco Mejia, who him and Zanino is a one-two catcher tandem, is absolutely going off. You traded Nate Lowe, who had zero spot on your team, and you've got these guys who are doing well for you. In my head, I don't see how anyone can be upset with the way Eric Neander does business. I tend to agree. And they just need to understand you can't expect to win every trade, you know, if you're the Rays, you know, you can expect to do well in most of your trades, but I feel like people sometimes have too high of an expectation going into each trade. Like, you know, Willie Adamas, the signs were there that once he got out of the trop, he was going to be an above average player. But the problem with the Rays is they play in the trop. So, you know, he always had really good road splits, but over, I mean, they still got Rasmussen and we saw him, you know, the other day, four scoreless innings. I mean, if they can stretch him out a couple more innings and we can see six or seven innings out of him going to the playoffs, that'll be huge. Are we going to get to see him pitch more, do you think? I'm not sure because he does have a bit of a lengthy injury history, so I don't know how far the Rays will push him. But if they do, that would definitely be huge for the club. That is 100% true. Let's go ahead and take a look at some minor league standings here, and then we're going to get into some fun other stuff here. Over in AAA, Durham leading the way by six and a half games at 61 and 34, a plus 108 or 184 run differential. Uh, they play again uh, on Tuesday in Charlotte against the Charlotte Knights. Let's go ahead and take a look at the Double A South, where your Montgomery Biscuits, as it's loading here on MILB.com, where your Montgomery Biscuits are six and a half back of the Mississippi Braves. 
so far on the season, 51 and 44, uh, three and seven in their last 10. So they need to pick that up a little bit with a 31 point run differential. They take on the Birmingham. They take on Birmingham, another Chicago White Sox affiliate coming up here this week. Let's take a look at, I believe it's the high A East that features that features the Bowling Green Hot Rods. The Bowling Green Hot Rods, seven games up on Greensboro. They are 67 and 29. They'll be taking on Rome, an Atlanta Braves affiliate coming up here, 156 run differential. And taking a look quickly at the low A East, where the Charleston River Dogs are taking place this season. Um, a little bit of a change from what fans are used to with the Florida State League. 67 and 29, 20 games up on the Myrtle Beach Pelicans, 182 run differential. They'll be taking on Augusta, the Augusta Green Jackets of Atlanta this week coming up. Uh, for all you fans out there, uh, Atlanta and Chicago are the two farm systems we're facing this week. I think that's unintentional, but that's huge there. All the Rays affiliates doing well, all above 500. The best record combined in minor league baseball right now. Um, you you got to be happy with how they are right now. You got to be happy with how all these minor league affiliates are playing, and we could see all four teams in the playoffs. Oh, for sure. Bowling Green and Charleston each uh, up to 70 wins, respectively. And if you want to talk about some more Eric Meander masterclass real quick. He traded John Curtis in the offseason um, since, you know, there just wasn't room for Curtis on the roster anymore. You know who they got back? Evan Edwards. Evan Edwards this week, high A East player of the week with three home runs and a 440 on base percentage for the hot rods. You know, so just really nice to see. So, Bailey, talk to me a little bit. You are a uh, guy who's a little bit down south there um, in Florida here. But you are a big minor league guy in general, especially with the uh, Hammerheads down there in Jupiter. Um, one of your guys out there, uh, Edward Cabrera, getting the call to the MLB. Talk to me a little bit about Cabrera. Uh, Cabrera is fantastic. There are people who have been quietly saying since 2019 that they think that he can be better than six, though. And now as we approach his actual debut this week, there are even more people saying that. And I don't think it's that crazy of a claim. Just, you know, it's everything starts with his fastball. I mean, he's just, uh, you know, high 90s fastball, really good secondaries. And his walk rate's a little high, but his strikeout rate is also high. So it offsets each other. And I really think um, having him, Sixto, Sandy, Trevor Rogers, and Pablo Lopez in the same rotation on opening day next season. It's just going to be a huge start for the Marlins. Yeah, so talk to me a little bit about what Cabrera brings to the table. Cabrera could be a top 25 pitcher in, in all of baseball at the very least, and I think he can be even better than that if he realizes his full potential. Well, what do you think that high potential is, and what do you think he needs to do to get there? I think he has the makings of a true ace. I mean, the, the success we've seen him had dates all the way back to 2019 in his Jupiter days. Then he got promoted to double uh, A Jacksonville and kept going. I think uh, what we need to see him do very simply is cut down his walk rate. He walks batters at a pretty high clip, but he also, like I said, he strike out, strikes out batters a lot too. Uh, has a nice ERA and whip. He's really, really good. Uh, I think. Um, we're not going to see him have ace numbers this year, 
But if over the next season or two, he can lower that walk rate, we're going to look at another, you know, Sandy Alcantara type of player. So I'm just going to sort of point this out to you here real quick. And you tell me what you think about it. Sandy Alcantara, Eduardo Cabrera. Then you've got Pablo Lopez, Jesus Lazardo, and Sixto Sanchez as your five-man rotation in Miami. I mean, that's phenomenal. And I, I think Trevor Rogers, as of right now, is better than Lazardo. But, I mean, that's a really good problem to have, to have six above-average starters in the same rotation. They might have to roll with a six-man rotation at some point next season. Do you think – doesn't even factor in, you know, Max Meyer, Braxton Garrett, Nick Nider. Right. Do you think they go with a six-man rotation? Or if, if you're the Miami Marlins, what do you do in this case? So, um, right now, uh, they don't have to worry about it because Pablo Lopez is still coming back from injury and Lazardo has been playing well. But once everyone's healthy and playing well, I think you have to go in it with a six-man rotation because simply all of your starting pitchers are too good to not have in the rotation. Is Sixto Sanchez ready to come up to the major leagues yet? Um, he's not going to be healthy again until uh, next season, like uh, spring training, because he had a shoulder surgery. But we're hoping he uh, comes back to full health, because when he is healthy, he he's another guy who has ace potential. It's really crazy when you have a rotation full of guys with that label. I don't like to throw it around loosely, but with Rogers, Sixto, Cabrera, and Sandy, I mean, that's four guys right there who can be top-of-the-line starters, not even to mention Lazardo and Lopez as well. Yeah, exactly, 1,000%. Um, speaking of Eduardo Cabrera, or Edward Cabrera, pardon me, he is a beast to use in MLB The Show. You and I were talking about this a little bit beforehand, and I'm a big MLB The Show guy. I know you are not, uh, as you don't have a console that you can play it on, but Edward Cabrera is a beast in MLB The Show, and it sort of got us thinking a little bit about the different major league players who play the game and sort of the realistic ability that it has in real life. Me as a Rays fan, it allows me to try and play Eric Neander with the guys on the team and try and figure out how to trade, keep the budget acceptable. But then I can also turn on the setting called ignore budgets and I can take and you know, bring in any player I want. You know what I mean? So it's a cool little thing. And, you know, we were sort of talking about it beforehand. Um, there are a lot of different players who play this game. Yeah. I think that it's a really fun way of growing the game of baseball. You know, I mean, let's say Cabrera got pr promoted back in like 2019. I don't think anyone would have really been talking about it, but my timeline all day has been like, he better be as good as his MLB, the show card. It's just uh, a really, you know, because minor league baseball does not get the spotlight it always deserves. So it's really cool to see a Marlins prospect like him get a lot of hype on Twitter today because everyone knows him from a video game. Yeah. What do you think is the most sort of, uh, I'll say it this way, trying to phrase it. Do you think it can actually grow? Like, obviously it grows the game in some aspects of it, but do you think with it now being a cross platform instead of a just PlayStation and hopefully within the next few years, we see it come out in on, on the switch and maybe even potentially PC. Do you think this and potentially working with companies like Barstool Sports or with Ken Griffey being in the front office, or potentially them doing all these games like the Field of Dreams game and the Sand and potentially other games. And another thing we're going to talk about here in a little bit with the Little League Classic. Do you think that MLB is trending in the right direction to grow the game? I would say overall, yes. Um, so for starters with MLB The Show, I think it's a fantastic way to grow the game. 
uh, back in like middle school, I watched a lot of Madden YouTubers and there were a lot of them who didn't actually really watch football. They just liked to play Madden on their console. And um, so you would have a lot of people who, you know, knew who Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers were from a video game, but didn't actually watch the NFL. And I think that's a lot of what we're seeing um, with um, MLB The Show. And another example of how it's growing the game, um, I, I want to say it was Alex Fast on Twitter who tweeted this out. I could be wrong, but someone tweeted out um, that they were at like a store wearing a Bowie Bay Sox hat and a kid came up to them and was like, hey, I know the hat from MLB The Show. So they knew a minor league team simply because they play that team in MLB The Show. So I think it's a really good way of growing the game. Um, I'm not sure, but I don't think Barstool it would be a good move for MLB, but I do think uh, the one-off games like Field of Dreams and uh, the Little League Classic series, I think those are really good ways of uh, branching out and promoting. So, so tell me why you think Barstool is not the right spot for MLB, just because of simply the fact that they have such a wide reach that I feel like it can get a lot of the younger fans, especially fans like you and I's age. I mean, we're both I'm 18 years old. You're 17, 18 years old as well. We're both younger guys. And when you say Barstool Sports, we know who you're talking about. And the fact of the matter is, is they have some good personalities on there and through their different things like Dallas Braden and guys like that. Well, I'd love to watch call a major league game. I think that's a fair point. I also think that there's a lot of baggage that comes with Barstool that will rub fans the wrong way. So while you might be picking up fans, if you partner with Barstool, there's a lot of fans who may be uh, left a bad taste in your mouth uh, if they do partner with Bar Barstool, just because there's a lot of things that their CEO has said and done that uh, is not going to make a family-friendly um, partnership, in my opinion. I think there's a lot of good organizations MLB could partner with um, to grow the game. I'm not sure if I'm on the Barstool train. Fair enough. I also want to sort of talk about a little bit with that. Is there another company that you would want to see them pair with to potentially something like this? Um, I think, I don't know if there's a company per se. I think uh, seeing them partner with smaller creators on like YouTube or other platforms could be an interesting way of uh, uh, growing the game because obviously like creators like that, they have like um, a following and then, you know, MLB could partner with them. Uh, and then in terms of companies in general, I'm not sure, but I'm, I, I do know there's probably some to pick from. In my opinion, the perfect example right now, just because of how they're growing, is John Boy Media. John Boy Media, I, I know he's a Yankee fan. I know. And, and as much as that hurts me, but the kind of content they're putting out there right now is just amazing. One of my favorite podcasts to listen to, probably my favorite right now outside of In the Tank. Make sure you hit that like and follow button. Get us out there. Keep getting us known. Give us five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. Sorry about that plug. But it is the Chris Rose rotation just because you get to see into the life of these different players. He He's had MLB. He's had, you know, Tyler Glass now and Archie Bradley as co-hosts and guys like that. He's brought in different guests from all over the place in the MLB community for me, a guy like that, like Chris Rose calling the game with maybe a co-host of his doing color or even Jake or John Boy, I think you're talking about a fun, family-friendly environment. Yes, he does curse on some of his, you know, lip readings and stuff like that, but he is reading lips. But I think overall, that would be a better look for you 
than bringing in a guy like or bringing in a group like Barstool just because I feel like John Boy shows what you want the game to be. I tend to agree with that. I think uh, John Boy would be a better fit than Barstool for MLB. And I know he has a, he's a big following on Twitter, YouTube, uh, his podcast. So I think that that could be a good partnership. So I don't know how many of these, I promise this is the last thing before we get into the Little League Classic, because I do want to get into that a little bit. Um, but how many of these City Connect jerseys have you seen? Have you seen all these City Connect yeah, jerseys? Yeah, I've, I've seen them all. So tell me, what of those jerseys is your favorite? So I promise I'm not or, biased. Or here, give me a three to one. Give me, give me a three to one rating. So, so we'll both gonna... do our third, then our second, then our first. So let's go okay. number three first. Okay, so I'm going to say number three, I'm going to go with um, – I'm going to go with the Diamondbacks. I like mm-hmm. the little snake as the S. I'm as well going to go with three as the Diamondbacks. You know, I love that sort of yellow sand color um, with that Diamondback as the S. And then the way they sort of keep the cursive for the curl of the tail, in my yeah. opinion, just looks really clean, especially with the little pop of red with the number down below. For sure. All right, let's move on to our second place. Who's in second for you? Yeah, my number two is going to be the White Sox. I think the the black jersey with the white pinstripes is a really nice look, and I like how the S on where it says South Side is the same S that's on the uh, White Sox cap logo. For me, I'm going to go ahead and go with my number two being the Miami Marlins. The red is so clean. I love the lettering with the little blue pop on it. Um, I'm not exactly sure what's going on with the hat there. It's sort of a crown look. Uh, Not exactly my favorite hat, but the jersey itself is super clean with just the five white pinstripes or the baby blue pinstripes. For me, that looks very clean. Yeah, uh, my number one is actually the the Marlins. Um, For a lot of the same reasons you said, I think the red and teal go really well together. I like it some uh, better than some of their um regular jerseys like I like this red better than their black that they wear uh a lot and I really like the crown uh it's inspired by the Cuban Sugar Kings baseball team of the 1950s I think it's a really nice homage that they're paying with that I think it looks really clean and it's uh, really cool to go to the ballpark or even watch on tv and seeing all these red jerseys in the fan uh worn by the fans in the crowd even though they're not even you know the, the team doesn't always wear these jerseys but I know the fan base has really embraced it. Yeah. My number one is an unpopular opinion. I'll tell you that right now. My favorite one is the San Francisco Giants. I love the G on the side, how it goes the gradient, the white to the orange with the orange undershirts with the little, uh, you know, Golden Gate Bridge right there on the sleeves. The numbers to me that with the orange hat, it just looks such a clean jersey. It looks amazing. And I think. The way the Giants pulled it off, especially Brandon Crawford, uh, and just that, to me, that screamed, this is our city. To me, that showed the true essence of the city. And I think that's something I took into consideration when I was picking these jerseys. Um, Close to almost cracking my rankings is the Chicago White Sox one. Pinstripes just don't really do it for me. I'm not a huge pinstripe guy. Uh, For some reason, pinstripes have just never been my favorite. That may just be my hate for the Yankees, which is very possible. Um, but for me, the pinstripes don't really do it to me. Let's move over to the worst one. What, in your opinion, is the worst one? Um, hmm. I would say 
probably Boston. I, I, I get why it's yellow, and I know the, uh, like the story behind it. It's nice. But personally, I don't really like the look of the yellow and the blue. Um, I would say um, I also think the Wrigleyville one is kind of boring. But I just I can't really get behind the yellow and blue Red Sox jersey. Um, for me, it's got to be the Los Angeles Dodgers. Oh, excuse me. Pardon me. It's got to be the Dodgers. For me, they just took a normal blue jersey that they would wear, put Los in front of it, and the blue pants don't do it for me. I, they're just it's it's not a good look in my opinion. Um, I think the Wrigleyville is next worst, and then Boston for me. Even though I'm not from Boston, I have no connection to Boston. Hate hate the Red Sox, um, and hate the fact that it feels like they stole the race colors almost. Um, the sentimental value for it for me just sort of puts it up there a little bit um that it's not as bad as some people think let's move over now to the little league classic i want to start with the jerseys of the little league classic and in my opinion where they struck out with some of these um where they struck out with some of these city connect jerseys they hit home runs with these they hit home runs with these with these jerseys i love the little league feel where it's got you know the west and the great lakes and it's simple yet elegant. Uh, just for me, it looks like a great jersey. Yeah, it's really cool to see the players, you know, wearing the little league style jerseys. And with all the little league players there watching the game, it creates a really nice atmosphere. Yeah. And a little bit, hold on, really quick breaking news before we get into this. By the time this podcast goes live, you will already probably have seen this. But breaking news to us here. Evan Edwards has been named the high A East hitter of the week, 333 average, three homers, seven RBIs, 20 total bases, an OBP of 440, a slugging percentage of 952 with an OPS of 1.392. So congratulations to Evan Edwards on being named the high, the high A East player of the week. That's uh, really happy for him. So now let's talk a little bit about, last night's game uh last night when we're recording this obviously of the little league classic what were your impressions of the game it was a fun game you know it was nice seeing otani on the field stole a base um you know tristan mckenzie or sorry not mckenzie uh cal quantrill pitching a really nice game uh he's had a really nice season last year he struggled a bit but he's really finding his own this year and it's gonna be really uh interesting to see how he goes how he pitches going forward you know, for me, he was the story of the game. Quantrell, I watched, you know, part of the game here and there. And his seven innings, two hits, two walks, nine strikeouts, was making hitters look off balance. Retired, I think, 13 straight to end his night, if I'm not mistaken. He just looked amazing on the mound. And I think that is something that we can't take away. Also, let's talk for a second about Ahmed Rosario. Three for four with two RBIs. In Little League Classics game, because he did play in one other one as well, he's four for six with two walks as well in Little League Classic games. So just for what it's worth, uh, Ahmed Rosario likes to play in the Little League Classic, apparently. Yeah, I guess so. And he uh, he, ha- he had a home run on Saturday as well. He's uh, has a hit streak of nine games. So maybe uh, Ahmed Rosario is finally starting to heat up. Obviously, he is no Francisco Lindor, even though Lindor has been hurt and not doing well this year. But for a team like Cleveland, where they're sort of, you know, around that 500 mark at 61 and 61 this season, he feels like the right guy to be there. 
yeah, I mean, he's still <laughs> relatively young. Um, so he, you know, he has time to still improve and get better. And I think um, we've seen, you know, he came, he started off slow, but since June, he's uh, looked like a completely different player. I think for me, at least in, in my personal opinion, I think that, you know, he's one of those guys who, yes, he's not going to necessarily be, you know, a, a top star in the league. I mean, he was supposed to be, I think, better than what he has been so far. But overall, he's an above average shortstop, and I'd say serviceable, very similar to the way before he got traded from the Diamondbacks, very similar to the way Eduardo Escobar was. I think that's a fair comp. I remember seeing Rosario play for the St. Lucie Mets back in, I want to say 2014 or 2015. So mm-hmm. it's really cool to see him, his uh, progress since then. And uh, yeah, I think, I think there's still more in the tank for him. I think he can be even better than he, he is right now. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Let's go ahead and take a look ahead at the race schedule a little bit for this week. Uh, They're off today, the 23rd, on the 24th and 25th, taking on the Phillies in Philadelphia. I'd say you want to win both of those games or at least split with Philly to give yourself a good shot. Definitely have to split those games. Uh, A a mini sweep would be nice, but definitely got to take one of those two games. I also think that, you know, hopefully we hear some news on Nelson Cruz. Hopefully he's okay. Um, I definitely, he said he was feeling a little ill. So they put him on the list to take a COVID test. Um, we'll see when that comes back, if we can give you any more information on that. Then for the weekend, the 27th, 28th and 29th, they head to Baltimore for a three game set. I got to say, you got to have another sweep there. I mean, it would be sad if they don't sweep it there or at least take two out of three. I would say you got to take two out of three. I mean, they have been, insanely good against Baltimore this year you know they've only lost to them once um which was when Spencer Watkins of the Orioles had his best career start so just bad luck that night but I don't think you can expect to be Baltimore every game but I think you do have to go there and uh win two games for sure yeah let's go ahead and take a look at the standings first we'll start in the National League in the East Atlanta five games up on Philadelphia uh, the New York Mets are seven behind. So sort of those three teams are going to be fighting it out. Um, you know, the Phillies and the Mets both still have a shot. As it, crazy as that says, even with the Mets being two games below 500. Going ahead and taking a look at the NL Central, the Milwaukee Brewers running away with the division, seven and a half up on Cincinnati, um, who are 60, the Brewers are 76 and 49. Over in the West, the first team to 80 wins, the San Francisco Giants, Two and a half up on the 78-win Los Angeles Dodgers, the San Diego Padres, 13 games back. We'll take a look at the wild card here after we go over the other divisions. We'll start in the AL West, where Houston is three and a half up on Oakland. That'll be a dogfight to the end, with Seattle not far behind at six and a half. Over in the AL Central, the White Sox lead it by nine and a half, and it's their division to lose at this point. And over in the AL East, which all of us are looking at, the Rays are four and a half up on New York, seven up on Boston, and 11 and a half up on Toronto. So they still got a little bit of room to play with. Let's take a look at the wild card where we can take a look at the American League wild card. The Yankees are two and a half up on Boston and Oakland, who share the second wild card right now. Uh, Seattle, three games behind, four and a half behind for Toronto, and seven and a half behind for Cleveland. Looking at the NL, the Dodgers nine and a half up on Cincinnati, who own that second wild card spot. 
San Diego a game behind, St. Louis four and a half, Philadelphia five games back, the Mets seven games back, and Colorado still a little bit of a dog fight left in them, but probably not with 11 games back there in the wild card. Arizona and Baltimore, the two worst teams, uh, Arizona, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Texas, the four worst teams in Major League Baseball. As, as we're recording this, Boston is playing Texas in a rain out recap. So, Bailey, as we wind down here a little bit, let's go ahead and give a bold prediction before we record our next podcast. For those of you who are looking ahead towards when we will hear another episode, this episode, according everything goes right, should be live on Thursday the 26th. Then on Sunday the 29th, we will have a special guest joining me to co-host. His name is Ricky Spanish on Twitter. Um, and we will also be joined and interviewing Grant Witherspoon of the Bowling Green Hot Rods, who's tearing it up. And that episode will be live on the 29th. And we will give you more details as they come out to what's going on. We've got a lot of interviews lined up. Grant Witherspoon, Alan Strong, Sean Merman. And we also got some more coming your way soon. But before we leave here, Bailey, let's talk about our bold prediction for the week. For you, what is your bold prediction for this week? Um, I'm going to make mine a little bit of a long-term prediction, but I'm going to say that at the end of this season, Ian Seymour will be ranked as a top three pitching prospect in the race system. I love that. Mine will be a little more short-term here for you. I'm going to go ahead and say the Rays win five straight and continue their winning A's, putting them on a seven-game win streak. They take all five games of the beginning of this road trip before heading against Boston. I would love to see that. I think it's very possible. I mean, look at the two teams they're facing. And I'm sure if you're an Atlanta Braves fan or a New York Mets fan, for that matter, you're hoping that, you know, the Rays can do that for you. I think those are the, the Phillies games are definitely winnable. Yeah. If you were right now looking at what would happen with the, uh, with the postseason, uh, right now, the Rays would face the winner of, Whoever would win the tiebreaker between Oakland and Boston. And then the winner of that plays the New York Yankees. The Rays would host them. Chicago would play Houston over in the National League. San Francisco would play the winner of the Dodgers in Cincinnati. Milwaukee and Atlanta would face off as of right this second. So, Bailey, anything else you'd like to share with us before we wrap up? Uh, I'll just finish off by saying um, I've been really interested in this NL wildcard race. Um, Cincinnati just passed San Diego. And can you imagine a scenario where San Diego and LA are not in the NLDS? Like that would just be uh, after everything we saw in the offseason and at the trade deadline for the team with Scherzer and Trey Turner and for the team with, you know, Blake Snell, Hugh Darvish and all those players. For both of them to be out before the NLDS would truly be crazy. In my opinion here, and I'm going to give this sort of shocking opinion. I mean, it's not necessarily shocking just based on where they are. I think Cincinnati and LA face off in that game. And in a one game playoff, (coughs) pardon me, with how these teams are playing right now, give me Cincinnati over the Dodgers in that one game playoff. I mean, it's going to be Luis Castillo most likely versus Max Scherzer. And I mean, the way you've seen India, Votto, Castellanos, and a host of others playing, I mean, it'll I mean, Mike Moustakis is there too, Jesse Winker, Tyler Stevenson. 
Yeah. I mean, that lineup, both lineups are loaded, if you ask me, and that'll be a great game to watch, not necessarily. But imagine that. Imagine Cincinnati versus San Francisco yeah. in, in a, in a five-game series. I mean, I'm going to say it right here on the end of this episode here. I've got a World Series prediction. Do you have one? Sure. All right, you first. Let's hear what you got first. First, your uh, National League guy. So my prediction is going to be Rays versus Brewers. I want to see Rays Reds. That's what I'm hoping for. But my prediction is going to be Rays Brewers. You took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> I would love to see Rays Reds. Just as a guy who grew up in Sarasota, that's where I'm from. That's where the Reds used to spring train. So I saw Joey Votto, Brandon Phillips, Paul Yonish, Jay Bruce all come through the system. And I've talked to all those guys before. So I'd love to see them. Um, but at the same time, I'd also love to see San Francisco for the fact that Gabe Kapler and Kurt Casale coming back to Tampa. You know what Evan I mean? Longoria. Evan Longoria. Like it, it would just be, there would be something awesome about that. Um, but Willie Adamas' return to Tampa in a Milwaukee versus Tampa battle. Um, that could be a seven-game series. Both pitching staffs electric. You're talking about probably game one would probably be what? McClanahan versus Burns. McClanahan versus Burns, and then Patino versus Woodruff. Woodruff, and then Peralta versus Rasmussen or Fleming or Waka or Archer or McHugh, something. I mean, you're talking about – you're talking about what a great series that would be just straight up on the pitching side. And then on the hitting side, you're talking about, you know, Willie Adamas versus Wander Franco, who's the better shortstop. And here's the thing. If it was played in Tampa, which as of this current second, it would be just because the Rays have a better record. Yeah. You know, Willie Adamas ain't going to do shit in the trot. Uh, I don't want to jinx it because he did have a home run in the playoffs in 2019 in the trot, but that, that does uh, help the Rays for sure. And speaking of players returning to the trap, have you seen what Avi Sayal Garcia has done this season? I mean, of course. Yeah, I mean, uh, he looks like a completely different player from last year. I mean, it's just amazing what some teams are doing right now. And you know what? It's For me, it's so cool to see. And the fact of the matter is, we'd have a great game. Like, that would be just a great game to watch. Who knows? You you want to know a few other players who they could also call up just to join this squad at some point who are in the minors right now or on rehab? Ryan Sheriff, David Robertson, Brendan McKay, Tommy Hunter, Brent Honeywell, Dietrich Enns. I mean, you've also got guys like Pete Fairbanks, J.P. Fireson. You've got, I mean, you've got, Chaz Rowe, who could be called up, Jeffrey Springs, Ryan Thompson, Matt Whistler, and the one-two punch right now of Zanino and Mejia in the minors, Taylor Walls, Mike Brousseau, Vidal Bruhan, Josh Lowe, uh, when Luplo comes off the DL, when Nelly Cruz comes off the DL. I mean, imagine Nelson Cruz crushing baseballs. That'd be, that'd be great to see. And I think McKay is going to be the ultimate wild card because who knows what to expect with him because he – I think he's still rehabbing in double A right now. He'd be a great addition to the Rays for the postseason run, but is he going to be ready? That's the big question. That That is the big question to be asked. Well, there was a lot of information here for you all to unpack. Thank you so much for listening to us. We got another episode coming up soon. Grant Witherspoon will be a guest on this next episode. It is Thursday, August 26th. 
Thank you so much for listening for to In the Tank. Once again, as always, raise up.